Hi everybody, Liam here. So about a year ago, I bumped into the creative director of Oaklandish, Angela Say, during an event at the Oakland Museum. We talked about how much we both love East Bay history and decided pretty quickly that it would be fun to do a collaboration. After all, lots of Oaklandish's t-shirts and other gear celebrate the town's landmarks like Lake Merritt and Tribune Tower, and this show is all about exploring the stories and the people behind those landmarks. So yeah, teaming up just sounded like fun. The plan was that I'd come up with a t-shirt design and then we'd have a launch party to talk about the concept and everything was going along great at first. I got my friend T.L. Simons, the same artist who drew the long lost Oakland map to come up with this incredible image and everything was set to go to print. But then of course the pandemic came and put everything on hold. Okay, plan B. We decided that since we couldn't do an in-person presentation to launch the shirt, instead I'd make a podcast about the history behind the design concept, which is what today's episode is, but it's not quite what I was expecting. Once again, another crisis got in the way, and I had to go with plan B. See, I was hoping to be recording this intro in downtown Oakland, next to some trees full of night heron nests, so you could hear them quacking in the background. But since the air quality has been at insanely unhealthy levels for the past few days or weeks, I don't even know anymore, everything is just blending together, uh, I decided to do this recording at home next to an air filter. In other words, I've adapted to adverse conditions, which just so happens to be a key trait of Oakland's official bird the black-crowned night heron. Adaptability. Okay, let me back up for a minute and explain why I'm talking about night herons. When Angela asked me to come up with a shirt idea, I wanted a design that would honor Oakland and its history, but also tell a story about resisting displacement, because that's such an important part of East Bay Yesterday's DNA. This show is about understanding the past, but not just for reasons of entertainment or trivia. I really believe that a strong sense of place, an understanding of how we got here, is key to envisioning a better future. Anyway, the design that T.L. Simons and myself came up with, it shows a giant night heron perched on top of an excavator. You know, those big yellow vehicles that you see on demolition sites uh, with the Oakland skyline in the background. And here's the story behind that design, which was inspired by some birds, birds who refused to be moved. A few years ago, developers destroyed downtown Oakland's largest rookery of black-crowned night herons. Workers removed dozens of nests before chopping down the curbside ficus trees where the birds had lived for years. The plan was to relocate them to a grove near Lake Merritt, but the night herons never agreed to this arrangement, and they weren't tricked by the decoys meant to entice them away from their preferred territory. They simply found other trees in the downtown vicinity where they remain to this day. When Oakland declared the black crown night heron the city's official bird in 2019, the resolution described the species as, quote, a resilient bird with remarkable adaptability in urban areas while remaining wild and retaining their natural behaviors. This defiant attitude 
along with the bird's unconventional beauty and deep local roots, is why I've chosen to feature the night heron on East Bay Yesterday's first t-shirt, as a celebration of those who refuse to be displaced. But of course, the story is never that simple. And that's why I have two great guests lined up for today's show. First, I'll be talking with journalist Sam Lefebvre, who published an article called Is Oakland Failing Its Official Bird? in the Oakland side a few weeks ago. His article shows that the saga of night herons can be used as a lens for exploring so many other important questions. Like, for example, how is the city balancing its commitment to current residents with efforts to keep developers happy? And my second guest is Clay Anderson, who is the Golden Gate Audubon Society's Youth Programs Manager. We'll be talking about the long history of night herons in the East Bay, and why Oakland is kind of the perfect environment for them, and also why the baby birds are so notorious for falling out of their nests. Clay will also discuss some of the challenges of bird watching while black, which you may remember was a huge subject in the news earlier this year following a racist incident that went viral. So yeah, stay tuned for that. And just one more thing before we jump into the interviews with Sam and Clay. At the heart of this story is really a question over how we humans interact with the natural world, the living things, the ecosystems around us. I can't think of a better time to really take a hard look at this question than now, as we're living through devastating and unprecedented wildfires that are almost guaranteed to get worse and worse in coming years. You know that old expression about canaries in the coal mine? Well, maybe we should be paying attention to the proverbial night herons and the ficus trees too. It doesn't have quite the same ring to it, but the lessons might not be all that different. You're listening to East Bay Yesterday. I'm your host, Liam O'Donohue. Stay tuned. Oh, and I almost forgot, you can buy the shirts now. Look for them at the Oaklandish store at 1444 Broadway or online at oaklandish.com. Here we go. Sam, how did you first get interested in looking at birds in Oakland? Well, I, I started noticing the birds more and wanting to learn more about them. Um, do you know what that bird is right now? Could you tell what that was just by sound? It sounded like an egret, yeah, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm sure one of our listeners will be able to chime in to uh, either confirm yeah. that uh, assumption or, or shoot you down. Oh, I should say we are we are recording this on the banks of Lake Merritt right now at uh, a very specific location, which will be explained later in the interview why we're here but uh, we're kind of in between Fairyland and the Boathouse. Oh, so you were saying how you got into uh, looking at birds. I think it, it really emerged from just wanting to continue deepening my sense of place and continuing to learn about the place I live. I, I've always been interested in political systems and subcultures and communities in Oakland and I really just started 
asking myself the kinds of questions about birds that I was asking myself um, about, you know, how people relate to one another and build community. Do you feel like looking at birds gave you any insights into those questions you were asking or into those, those thoughts that you were pondering? Well, I try not to anthropomorphize too much. I try not to assume that humans have the same motivations as wildlife because it just sort of leads you into some sort of fallacious thinking. But I, I definitely have like learned about uh, the ways that humans sort of affect the, you know, the environment through observing birds and seeing how they interact with the conditions that we've created. Yeah, so you just wrote a uh, pretty long feature for the Oakland side about night herons and their kind of topsy-turvy up and down roller coaster ride of uh, history in Oakland over the last couple of years. But before we get into the content of that article, there's that egret again, possibly. Uh, can you, do you remember what first attracted you to night herons or what got you interested in night herons in the first place? Well, night herons, um, long before they were the official bird of Oakland, I definitely thought of them as a quintessential like Oakland bird. For years and years and years, I've had friends. Oh, there's the other quintessential Oakland bird, the helicopter. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and I want to chime in and say, I think that's a great blue heron after all that, okay. we, that we were hearing. Gotcha. Um, for years and years, I've, you know, ridden my bike past Clinton Square Park in East Oakland, um, you know, uh, right over here at the, by, you know, the ponds by the Bird Islands. And those are super reliable sites to see um, night herons. And once you, when you notice one, you tend to notice more. And when you start looking for them, you know, they're everywhere. Do you know how night herons came to nest in downtown Oakland? And uh, I should back up by saying what your article is about is kind of about how there was this very prominent kind of cluster of rookeries or bird nests in uh, some ficus and laurel trees in downtown that were removed by developers and uh, the, the kind of fate of the birds since then. But before we get into what happened to the birds, can you talk a little bit about how they came to be there in the first place? Have they always been there? What do we know about the history of night herons in, in the downtown region? So night herons nested for a long time on the bird islands by the lake over here. And they ended up fleeing those islands for reasons that are as I've come to learn, sort of debated, it had to do with basically the habitat degradation. And some people have told me it was because the city removed non-native vegetation. Some people have sort of assumed that, you know, these the trees start to die when they were laden with too much heron poop. You know, I've heard di different things. But for some reason, the night herons fled the islands by the lake. And my understanding is that they actually started nesting briefly for maybe a season or two in Jack London over along 2nd Street by the Fat Lady, the restaurant. Um, and that was not popular with the merchants around there. And so I can probably guess why. And it has to do with uh, my own personal experience with the herons involving accidentally locking my bike underneath one of those trees one day and coming back to find my bike ex uh, absolutely crusted in, in bird feces from uh, handlebars to rear tire. They, they definitely do defecate quite a bit. 
Yeah, it's pretty pretty prolific. Yeah, there's some new, there's some still some sidewalks downtown that look like you know have a different color paint or whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, I you know I guess you know that wasn't popular with the merchants, and they were able to discourage the herons from continuing to nest there, you know, and establish that rookery rather quickly. And then it was when the herons started, you know, reestablish the rookery on 14th and uh, Alice and thereabouts. And we've seen a lot of changes over uh, near that intersection in the last couple of years. Of course, there was the beloved Alice Street mural that celebrates the cultural achievements of a lot of people of color, uh, like Ruth Beckford and a lot of the elders of uh, Oakland's Chinatown. And unfortunately, that mural has recently been covered up by a, uh, a development that's currently under construction. And then, as you're getting into now, we uh, we got to a situation where those the trees that the the herons love nesting in were were removed as well. How did the city come to approve the developer's request to remove those trees? So the building, you know, this this project that the developer proposed necessitated the removal of of these trees. And Oakland is is quite amenable to development. So there was really no question that, you know, this development was going to be stopped for the sake of the trees or whatever. So Oakland signed off on removing the trees. But before they did that, they, under pressure from the Audubon Society, decided to add a condition to this permit approval for the tree removal. And that condition was basically that the developer had to try to relocate this rookery that they were going to destroy. And the place where they were going to try to relocate that rookery is the exact spot on Lake Merritt where we're sitting right now. And as part of that process also, I noticed that the developer commissioned some muralists to paint pictures of night herons where they had previously been nesting after the trees got cut down. And that sort of reminded me of, for example, how California put the grizzly bear on the state flag at the same time that they were exterminating grizzly bears, or how you know there's all these towns or streets named after the things that used to exist there that had been you know decimated or pushed out of the way. Like there's so many streets named like Shell Mound Street or you know Ohlone Avenue or things like that. Not that to, not to imply that the Ohlone are gone. They're not. They're, they're definitely Ohlone uh, in the East Bay, and they're they're thriving. And actually, there's a huge cultural revitalization going on right now. And the the herons aren't completely gone either. Um, but the relocation effort didn't go very well. Can you tell me about what you know about, I guess, kind of the failure of that effort? First, I want to just say you're absolutely right that the Heron Relocation Project got great press. Everyone seemed to hear about it. You know, um, you pointed out the murals. It was around the same time they put the Herons on the library card. It was around the same time that Quick shout out to Oakland Library. I do, I've got one of those library cards and I gotta admit, I love it. I've got one too. That was absolutely the one I picked. Um, and uh, so the Heron Relocation Project was mainly designed by H.T. Harvey, which is an environmental consultancy firm based in the South Bay. And the idea was to use positive and negative Forces. So they wanted to simultaneously discourage the herons from nesting downtown and encourage them to nest at 
one of what was originally three sites around the lake. And they used a, a, a range of, of techniques to try to do this. They took trees, they took nests out of the trees downtown, put them in nests over here. They installed speakers over here with uh, sounds of real heron rookeries and were, and were blasting them for months and months on end throughout the nesting season. Yeah, I remember riding my bike around the lake at night and the first time I, I heard that like artificial quack, quack, I was like, what, what the heck is that? They just like, really, and then you get used to it after a while, but it really caught me off guard because it was uh, quite prominent. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a whole scene over here. They had signs over here with little heron illustrations that said, um, efforts underway to attract the night heron. Yeah, and the, the heron mannequins. <laughs> oh, and there were, of course, how could we forget, d decoy herons. <laughs> and I also, briefly, you know, the, the herons shared these downtown trees with, with snowy egrets, so, you know, attracting snowy egrets alongside the heron was also an important goal. The, the egrets just haven't become... Uh, haven't become quite as iconic, so they tend to get <laughs> not mentioned when they should. I love the fact that, like, the egrets are these kind of beautiful, slender, you know, perfectly white, very statuesque birds, and the herons are these kind of weird, football-shaped, hunched-over, red-eyed creatures of the night, and which bird did Oakland choose to love? The night herons, the weirdos, the scrappy kind of, uh, it's just, it's just such a weird bird, and, uh, I, I, one thing I'm curious about, though, is do we know why they rejected these inputs to draw them over to the lake? Why have they remained downtown to the consternation of uh, the environmental consultants and the developers? Yeah, we know that the herons did not readopt the lake as a nesting site. And instead, many, though not all of them, you know, relocated to just other trees downtown. They basically went to the nearest suitable tree to the one that they'd been nesting in before. And um, reasons why include the herons have what the biologists call, you know, a strong sense of site fidelity. They're very reluctant to leave a rookery. I was a little surprised when I saw that the herons weren't moving into these trees over here by the lake because I walk by the lake a lot at night and you see the herons all over the place. Yeah, so, uh, you know, what the, what the biologists and the city ended up concluding about this project's lack of success was basically that they didn't try hard enough to discourage them from nesting downtown. The way the biologists explained it to me is we would have had to you know, pollard, which is, you know, a word for sort of dramatically shearing, they would have had to pollard the rest of the ficus trees downtown and make it virtually impossible for the herons to nest there in order to, you know, really motivate them to come over here. And the city of Oakland, for various reasons, wasn't willing to, uh, you know, pollard all of its trees downtown. So the title of your article is is Oakland failing its official bird? And where do you eventually come down on that question after doing all this research? I come down on the fact that the San Francisco Bay Bird Observatory, which has been monitoring heron population, the heron breeding population downtown 
for several years recorded basically this enormous drop in breeding population numbers between 2018 and 2019. But we don't know how that trend continued into 2020 because they stopped monitoring because of the pandemic. And the city, by cutting short the relocation efforts, also removed these biologists from you know, a position of being able to observe the population. So we know that there was a dramatic drop that you know, coincided with us tearing out a bunch of the trees that they were nesting in. But we don't know uh, whether that was just a, a fluke or whether it's going to reverse or sort of continue in that direction. And we do know that there are still clusters of night herons inhabiting trees scattered throughout the downtown area. Oh, for sure. They're, they're, it's, yeah. so, uh, they're still nesting there, for sure. Just, um, you know, it appears to be not in the numbers that they once were. In your research, you were kind of looking at this question of how Oakland balances its desire for development downtown with environmental concerns. Is there anything you can say about how you've come to understand that balance better now after looking at this case study? I've looked at the, you know, the apparent sort of failure of this Heron relocation project as an example of the way that Oakland um, fails on a lot of infrastructure issues and is kind of failing the birds in a similar way that it's sort of failing its residents as far as diminishing the, you know, living conditions for birds downtown at the same time that the officials are making sort of official pronouncements about, you know, how important and, and, and tough and special the birds are. Um, sort of with, with this idea that, oh, things will be better for you on the other side of this. And it turns out that, you know, they're not. Right. Again, I want to be really careful about comparing birds to people. <laughs> but there is this kind of refrain that Libby, Mayor Libby Schaff has about Oakland's special sauce. And I couldn't help but notice parallels between the fact that she's always talking about, and not only her, I don't want to single out Libby Schaff because this I think is, you know, common of a lot of uh, Oakland and Bay Area politicians in general, but constantly talking about how important, you know, artists and diversity is and, you know, all these things related to uh, communities of people that have been in Oakland for a long time and paying, you know, a lot of lip service to these various uh, ethnic groups and subcultures and, and other kinds of people that have been here for, for a long time. But then when it actually, when like the rubber hits the road, when it comes to the budget and the planning process, etc., that praise doesn't always line up with the legislative agenda or priorities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, another slogan you hear from many elected officials is development without displacement. So this project was very effectively sort of pitched as an example of making everyone happy, of like having the development and improving uh, the nesting conditions for the city's official bird and sort of teaching these third graders some giving these third graders like a civic engagement experience at the same time but two years into what was supposed to be a three-year project the city pulled the plug and was like oh never mind um 
you know, I guess we're not gonna, you know, achieve success with this after all, so we're gonna stop it and hope that no one notices. The developer is Holland Partners, correct? Yeah, that's the main one. And they're saving a lot of money by the fact that the, the city is letting them cut this uh, re-migration project short by a year. Because originally the agreement was that they would spend three years trying to relocate the Night Herons, but since it hasn't worked in the first two years, the city is basically saying, you guys are off the hook. Is that a pretty good summary, or is that accurate? Holland is definitely saving money. There's kind of two ways to look at it. It's like, it's, it's a lot of money they're saving to you and I but it's not a lot of money relative to what they're putting into this project. So you'd think, you know, they could, they would just continue to throw the pocket change at it because it's nothing, you know, mm. but they didn't. One thing I'm wondering is, as you mentioned, the status of the night heron, the black crown night heron as Oakland's official bird is relatively new. Uh, this came as a result of uh, a very cute, you know, lobbying campaign by a, a group of school kids uh, that was ultimately successful. I'm just wondering if what, you know, as a, as a avid bird lover, you know, as, as a longtime Oakland resident, how do you feel about the night heron being Oakland's official bird? Do you think it's a good pick? Why or why not do you feel like it's an appropriate uh, mascot for the town? Um, a lot of the messaging around the official bird campaign was, was really resonant for me, especially to the point of making the heron sort of a symbol of the watershed. I think it's it's really good to be reminded that so much of the city as we know it was once marshland. So it sort of nudges us to pay more attention to um, you know sort of wetlands restoration projects and sort of enables us to think about you know the place we live as more of like a um, you know a living sort of ecosystem and, and a watershed in particular. So for that reason, I'm, I, I endorse it, for sure. And then lastly, this is the question I know everyone's been waiting for me to get to. How does it feel to be the first person to be a guest twice on East Bay yesterday? For, for new listeners, you may not remember this, but I interviewed Sam a couple years ago for an episode about the squats, RCA and hot mass, uh, regarding a great article you wrote uh, for the SF MoMA magazine, Open Space. And uh, that, that episode's a fan favorite, I've got to say. On my boat tours, people bring it up all the time. But, but you're the first return guest. Uh, that's got to be quite an honor. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am. Well, I, I, am, I am honored. I am honored. I'm happy it's about to, I'm happy it's about such different things. And it's funny to me to think about um, exploring similar themes in these wildly, you know, different stories. And it sort of reminds me of, I, I was really amused to see that uh, my story, my Heron story was shared by the East Bay DSA and the Golden Gate Audubon Society. And I was like, oh, cool. Not only can I write about like politics, local politics and like local nature, but like I can write about each of those in a way that interests people who are interested in the other one. <laughs> no, that's a really good point. I love this idea of all these different threads coming together because as uh, everyone who lives in the Bay Area knows, development is never like a one-dimensional story. There's always multiple parties affected. It's always affecting various communities. And uh, it really does show 
in a way that humans are part of an, an ecosystem too. It's got you know financial and economic components, but just like the complexity of, of natural systems, you know, when you change one thing in Oakland, it doesn't just uh, it's not just building a an apartment complex on one corner. It has all these different ripple effects that might not be obvious at first glance. Yeah, absolutely. I had a well, I had I had an interesting sort of experience with one of the trees where herons and egrets are continuing to to nest right now, um, sort of in replacement for the ones that were that were felled. The other night, I was doing a, I was helping at a, a an eviction defense for this apartment building at Tenth and Oak Street, and so basically I was sitting in this person's apartment with a sort of protocol to follow in the event that some goon or the landlord or somebody showed up to try to intimidate this tenant and violate the eviction moratorium. And this building was catty corner from the uh, you know trees where the herons and egrets were nesting. So the entire time I'm literally like sitting on a bucket, like in an empty room, I'm listening to this... Uh, heron rookery and it just seemed uh perfectly uh appropriate to me <laughs> yeah absolutely and there was no eviction last night i take it of that apartment no no yeah it was no one uh no one no one came to harass the tenant that day fortunately excellent and so far the herons haven't been evicted from downtown oakland either um they've been pushed around a little bit but they're they're holding steady and as far as i know herons and years will return to that very tree where I was listening to them next spring. So. Awesome, awesome. Okay, once again, that was my interview with journalist Sam Lefebvre. And you can find his article, Is Oakland Failing Its Official Bird, on a wonderful local news site called The Oakland Side. Next up, I'll be talking with Clay Anderson, who is the Youth Programs Manager at the Golden Gate Autobahn Society. Just a quick note that we recorded this conversation outside in a park so we could be safe and socially distanced and everything, but as a result, you'll hear a bit of background noise. Specifically, as we started taping, the basketball game on the other side of the park got kind of intense, so you'll hear some dribbling, a little grunting. I hope it's not too distracting. Uh, maybe you'll even kind of like it because it'll remind you about what it was like to be outside, you know, back when we could actually see the sun. Anyway, here we go. Clay Anderson on East Bay yesterday. So let's take it back a little bit. How did you first get into being fascinated with birds? Oh my good. Well, I was one, one incident that was really interesting was when I was a kid. Um, I, we had a dog and family dog and I had to feed the dog and he, we would give him too much and he would eat as much as he wanted and he'd walk away and he'd leave the food and he'd come back eat some more but the birds would also come down and get some of it too and um, I, would sit, I was sitting there watching it and just looked like a bunch of birds mobbing a, you know, a dog pan and, but as I watched it closer I noticed that there was an, wasn't a whole lot of fighting there were each time a bird got on into the pan there was another bird that jumped in with it and I was like, oh, it's the pairs, and they're taking turns. So it was a really organized thing, although it didn't look like it. Uh, and that turned me on to nature and said, you know, when you look at things in, in the wild, it, it, there's more to it than what meets the eye. 
as an educator, someone who's always talking to students about birds, how do you get kids who probably maybe have never noticed birds before, never really thought about them? What, what do you do to get kids excited about, about looking at birds or uh, talking about birds? Well, you know, I, I kind of relate. Birds, birds have... Speaking birds, of kids. Yeah. Birds have uh, a lot of the same uh, needs that we have. So when you start to compare what they dig compared to what we need, they can relate to that. And, you know, some of their birds are pretty much sell themselves because they can fly. It seems like the Bay Area has got to be like one of the best places in, in the country, if not the world, to be a birder, huh? Oh, um, I think so because it's such a variety in the Bay Area. I mean, we were blessed to have the ocean, the lakes, the, the marsh, uh, forest, redwoods. And then if you could go another hour or two, you're up in the mountains. It's unbelievable. And the variety of birds here is just amazing. So, yeah, I just feel blessed to be in this area for birding and for a bunch of other things, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, look at Lake Merritt. It's like right there on the Pacific Flyway, which right. is like the super highway for birds, basically. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, if you get here in the wintertime, you won't be disappointed. It's just there's just so many cool things to see coming through here. For people who are newbies, who are just kind of maybe thinking about checking out birds, don't really know that much yet, do you have any tips or resources that you would recommend? Hmm. I would definitely go check out our website, uh, goandgetaudubon.org. Uh, we've got a bunch of stuff going on there. And since COVID, you know, we've actually put a bunch of learning tools on our website. Um, and there's always, well, hopefully we can get back to trips. Uh, we're still doing some of the Zoom presentations and stuff, so you can learn for free. Or if you want to do something more, our uh, travel program is pretty extensive. So, But that's one. And then also check out um, Cornell. Cornell is a great website and a ton of resources around birds. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Let's talk about night herons a little bit. So getting into the deep history of night herons, do you know anything about where they originally came from or like how long they've been in the east bay or california or anything like that there's there's all kinds of theories but i know that they've been here since we've been recording in this area so and the native americans have known all about them and so they've been here quite a while and all the well i want to use a scientific term siconiforms which are all the herons and egrets those guys have been found in uh, you know, archaeological digs. So these birds have been around a long time, but they're not the oldest birds. Um, uh, they they kind of fall towards the passerine group. So uh, nowhere near something like a, a, a galliform or duck. Ducks are considered some really ancient birds, but the siconiforms are not that old. Yeah. Yeah. So, but they've been around for a long time, is basically what we Yeah, they've been around longer than me and you, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you talk a little bit about what makes them particularly well adapted to this area? Like, we see night herons, if you walk around Lake Merritt at night especially, you see them all over the place. Right. What draws them to the lake, or Oakland in general, do you know? Um, I think that... The lake was never really, it's not real a real lake. It's what we've manipulated and turned into a lake. It was a marsh or some would say an estuary um, or a slough, um, but that's based on the tide. So these animals are adaptable and you eat everything from fish to mammals. So they probably were attracted to the lake because of that. 
Um, and these birds are highly, deeply associated with marsh uh, and transition areas. So um, it just makes sense that they're here in the numbers that they are. One of the ways that people, I think, from Oakland know them is because they are famous for nesting in the downtown trees, specifically like the ficuses and like the laurels. Do you have any idea why they, what draws them to those kinds of trees in particular, or like why, why, why downtown? I don't think it's, there's anything about the trees in particular other than that they need to be of a good size that they can rest. They're not very good um, nest builders, so um, the trees have to be pretty sturdy and strong for them to be able to just lay their sticks down and they don't do a weaving type thing. So, And that's one of the big, big problems with those birds nesting is that the, the babies fall out quite a bit, the nests fall. And luckily it brought attention to the fact that these birds were there. Uh, why they're attracted to downtown, good question, because they were in the, actually in the uh, lakes pr prior to that. They were right down on Lake Merritt, and when there was some revenge that went down, uh, it scared them off and they never came back. I think, I think part of it is the food, so, you know, um, there's a lot of fish stuff that goes on down here, so uh, the birds are attracted to that as well, so I think they kind of made the best between for two worlds, being at the lake and then being where the food is, and they kind of found a happy medium spot there. I've seen people feeding them downtown. Like, I, yeah. I saw this old dude throwing some, like, uh, I think they were, like, pork rinds or something oh, like that. Yeah. And the hands didn't look like they were enjoying that. So probably, you know, just being able to eat scraps yeah. is, you know, one of the things. It's, so. an e it's, an easy, it's an easy thing for them, right? So they don't have to hunt for it. And if you go by Kentucky Fried Chicken, which is on the what the east end of the lake there used to be it's gone now but you'd find you know five six or seven of them just in the back waiting but for by the dumpster always yeah yeah my friend jenny nicknamed those guys the colonels <laughs> yeah that's it so yeah i think it's it's that it's the it's the food source and the fact that they got disturbed on that eye of those islands yeah, yeah. So you mentioned like that they're not like the most impressive nest builders. Yeah. So, you know, we've got the uh, nest cams up in uh, Berkeley's campus and out at the Richmond Crane with like the falcons and the ospreys. Yeah. And it's pretty cool to watch those. So if we put a nest cam in a night heron nest, it wouldn't be as impressive, you're oh, thinking? Oh, no, I think it'd be very impressive. Oh, what would we see? Oh, I, I think you'd see a lot of activity between the siblings and then the way that they feed and the noises they make. and just very kinetic compared to a raptor I think they're a lot more active a um, lot more drama I'm surprised to hear that because usually when you see them they're standing totally still right <laughs> so like what, what what are they what kind of drama are we talking about you know, here in, in, in the nest yeah in the nest when the feeding happens and the infanticide and all that stuff goes down they, um, wait a minute infanticide is when the when the adult uh, I think it's that's when the adult kills the yeah, no, offspring, so, right? So, it would be, so if it's kid on kid, what do you call it? Oh, uh, <laughs> just competition, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's sibling rivalry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so there's a lot of that that goes on. So, so when the when the babies fall out, maybe it's their brother or sister pushing them out. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it just happens. Oh, you said that you identify. Uh, birds by ear a lot by sound. What is the what is the heron sound? Can you describe <laughs> it at all? <laughs> it's like raw, 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 raw. <laughs> not that's very a, musical at all. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, I know, like one of the things that's come up in the kind of Oakland conversations about night herons is people are 
kind of like painting them now as like a symbol of resistance to displacement because there was this attempt to you know well the, their trees did get cut down and there was this attempt to kind of push them out of downtown but the night herons weren't really having it and they're still sticking around right do you have any thoughts about that um that's a great analogy i think <laughs> i think it's very appropriate uh night herons are pretty scrappy and they and they've survived up to now and they, i think they'll be here for a long time to come so i think that's a great analogy for oakland and and folks that are you know struggling and, and and trying to move forward you know i think it's i think it's very appropriate and you know herons aren't that they're not that ugly <laughs> they're pretty cool actually and and just keep it in mind that not every not every magnificent thing has to be have pizzazz and all these different uh, bells and whistles sometimes just just hanging in there and being focused it's gonna get it's gonna win the day so yeah, I like them as a symbol of Oakland because, like you said, like right off the top, they're not like immediately the most impressive bird to look at. Like you've got your great blue herons that are very tall and slender and kind of magnificent looking. And uh, then you've got the night herons that are kind of like these squat little hunched over, beady eyed little football looking birds. But the, I feel like the more you see them, the kind of more you can kind of grow to appreciate them. Right. You know, they're, they're quirky, they're funky. There's nothing else like them. They're really unique, right? Very unique, very unique. And, and, and initially you look at them and go, hmm, that's, that's not very impressive. But they kind of grow on you, right? They kind of grow on you. And uh, the fact that they're able to, to hang in there and make something happen with nothing and, and then, it, you know, continue to exist, you know? Yeah. And they're surprising too. Like when you see them, when they do stretch out their necks, you're like, "Oh, you got a neck in there." <laughs> yeah, they're 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 uh, they eat just about anything. Uh, well, not anything, but lots of different things. And I think that's the key to their success: is their adaptability, right? They're they're able to change and deal with the problem at hand and come out of it looking good. And that's important. I know that some birds we got to be worried about because of climate change, habitat destruction, and all these reasons why so many birds are threatened now or endangered. But night herons, we don't have to be too concerned about in the, in the big picture, right? They're not going to be wiped out anytime soon or anything like oh, yeah, that. No, I think these guys will be here. I mean, if you can hang in Oakland, you can hang <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, definitely. <laughs> Just one other thing I was wondering about is, I'm sure you were following all the controversy a couple months ago with the uh, the black gentleman who was, you know, looking at birds in Central Park and that white lady called the cops on him, and that kind of brought out a lot of support for African American birders. What do you think about that controversy? I'm sure you know, as a black man in a hobby or a you know profession that's kind of predominantly white. You had some feelings about it, and I was just wondering how you how you thought about seeing all that unfold. Well, it it, it just it just uh, is a good reminder that you know we've come a long way, and we still got a ways to go. And you know, if you if you practice bad habits for a very long time, it's going to take a while to get out of them. And we're still trying to get out of them. And I think we've made a lot of progress, but we still got to keep going. Um, so yeah, I mean. It's happened to me, it's happened to most people of color, so um, it's not a new thing, but it's a, it was this one in particular, be, thank God the cell phones, 
<laughs> we were able to see it in real time, yeah. right? Yeah. And so there's no denying, there's no, you know, maybe if, you know, it, it really did happen. Yeah. And this is what we got to work on, you know. When you say that it's happened to you, you mean people have like treated you suspiciously because you're black and you were like uh, in the bushes with binoculars or something like exactly. that? Or? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <Yeah. laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like uh, the stranger, right? It's like, whoa. So not a normal thing. And like uh, J. Drew Lanham, who's a longtime bird, black birder over on the East Coast, says, you know, we're rare birds. We're very rare birds. And I, you know, I just kind of, I'm just happy to, to see the reaction with Black Lives Matter and everybody else supporting and just saying, hey, you know, we got to change this together. This is like a systemic problem. Do you feel like the response of the kind of like white burden community in the wake of that has been encouraging to see people uh, letting it be known that like the white burden community is going to stand with, you know, black folks who are into this? Yeah, no, that, that's, that's really been good, you know, and encouraging. Um, you know, I was really looking at that and wondering what the response was going to be, and it's been good. So, just the same, it's like we've, we've done a lot and we still got work to do. Yeah. So, well, those were all the questions I had. Was there anything else you wanted to say about yourself or birds or night herons or the East Bay or anything like that? Well, I think that um, one of the things is um, night herons aren't in danger. And this is when we should be saving not when it's too late, mm -hmm. right? So I think you producing this and putting this out there, these are the kind of birds that we need to focus on, the ones that are really doing well and need, don't, don't necessarily need a lot of help, but you know, you never know. So yeah. let's not wait until the bird is in deep trouble before we say, oh, let's do something. You know, we gotta do something now. And there are infinite numbers of opportunities and ways for people to figure out how to live with wildlife. So just look for opportunities to, to continue to figure out how we live in harmony with nature because we need nature. Nature doesn't need us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, what you said, it rings so true because I feel like one of the craziest stories in all of modern American nature history is the fact that passenger pigeons went from being one of the most populous birds right. ever I mean there was you know billions of them maybe to completely extinct within a couple decades yeah. no, no one thought it could happen but yeah. it did it know? did yeah so there's a there's a lot of there's the tipping points right so we don't and we don't know what those are you know so once a species gets to a tipping point you, it, it, you can't get it back and you still and they're still around but they're already gone so yeah. we don't have enough knowledge I don't care how many you know papers you do or whatever to know what those tipping points are because nature is so complex and we're only a part of nature. We are not the lead on nature. <laughs> That's the mistake you know? thinking yeah, that way. Right? Yeah, exactly. So you know All right, that's gonna do it for this episode of East Bay Yesterday. But before I get to the thank yous, I just wanna encourage you to take a look at the shirt because it's such a cool design. I'm really, really happy with how it turned out. Once again, my man, T.L. Simons, has created something truly gorgeous. You can find links to it at my site, eastbayyesterday.com, or you can go see it in person at the Oaklandish store at 1444 Broadway in downtown Oakland. 
big shout out to Angela Say and the rest of the team over at Oaklandish for making this happen. I also want to thank everyone at the Oakland side, as well as a few of my other friends who have written some great articles about Black Crown Night Herons uh, over the years, specifically Marissa Ortega-Welch and Jenny O'Dell. Also, shout out to Heyday Books, which just published a really cool illustrated book about the Native American origin story of Night Herons, which is written by Cindy Alvitre and illustrated by Carly Wake. If you enjoyed the show, please go ahead and follow East Bay Yesterday on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and if you could share this episode or just give it a shout out on one of those platforms, that would be really helpful too. Oh, and if you really want to support the show, head over to my Patreon page. Huge, huge thanks to all the people who make the donations that keep this show alive. Finally, you can subscribe to East Bay Yesterday on Spotify, you know, SoundCloud, pretty much all the major podcast apps. Music for this episode came from Justin Lee and Martin Fowler, whose work you can find at martindfowler.com. The theme song came from Anatech. Thanks again for listening. I'll be back soon with more episodes of East Bay Yesterday.